Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 43, corresponding with the week of October 9, 2023. This week, we're going to look at the power of suggestion and study, mini literature review, and also autism etiology. From the free thoughts, friendship means little when it's convenient. This comes to us from the John Wick movie, by Shimatsu, the character. I like that statement. Friendship means little when it is convenient. Taking a stand for a friend in my mind in need is imperative. I liken this to the battle to get children that are impoverished the best care possible. I take a stand for them, and it is rarely convenient. Such is life. Okay, section one. The power of suggestion. Can our thoughts affect us at the biological level, not just at the subjective level? In a new study published in preprint in BioRxiv, entitled, A Thalamic Circuit Represents Dose-Like Responses Induced by Nicotine-Related Beliefs in Human Smokers, we see some new research looking at the power of suggestion well beyond the placebo effect. The abstract reads as follows, quote, could non-pharmacological constructs such as beliefs impact brain activities in a dose-dependent manner as drugs do? While beliefs shape many aspects of our behavior and well-being, the precise mapping between subjective beliefs and neural substrates remains elusive. Here, nicotine-addicted humans were instructed to think that an electric cigarette, e-cigarette, contained either low, medium, or high levels of nicotine, while nicotine content was actually kept constant. After vaping the e-cigarette, participants performed a decision-making task known to engage neural circuits affected by nicotine while being scanned by functional MRI. Activity in the thalamus, a key binding site for nicotine, increased parametrically according to the believed dose. Furthermore, the functional coupling between thalamic and ventromedial prefrontal cortex areas, a region implicated in value and state representations, also scaled to belief dosage. These findings illustrate a dose-dependent relationship between the thalamic circuit and nicotine-related beliefs in humans, a mechanism previously known to only apply to pharmacologic agents, end quote. That comes to us from Pearl et al., again in BioRxiv. For me, this is incredible. We have long known that, that the placebo effect, a positive re result from a perceived or fake drug or intervention, and the nocebo effect, a negative result from a perceived fake drug or intervention, are real. These beliefs, based on an intentional telling of harm or benefit when the intervention is applied to the subject, knowing that they may receive no drug. For example, if I give you fake pill X, but you do not but do not tell you, excuse me, whether it is real or fake, I also tell you that you will increase your ability to do X if you receive the drug, the placebo effect would state that you have a beneficial response because you believed that you received or could receive the actual drug even though you didn't. The nocebo effect in this case would be the same, but the effect would be negative to the fake pill. This new study is importantly different in that all subjects receive drug in the same dose without a placebo or no drug arm or no intervention arm, but everybody was told that they received different doses. 
the response then would be expected to be identical corresponding to the actual drug dose given. That would be the pharmacological answer. However, they were not. If the test subject was told that they received a high-dose nicotine vape, they responded in kind, acting like they received high-dose drug by functional MRI testing. This is the first-of-its-kind research showing us that thoughts truly do create outcomes beyond what we previously believed at the cellular level. They go on to state, quote, Importantly, beliefs about nicotine strength were represented by neural activities in the thalamus in a dose-dependent fashion during value-based decision-making. Across individuals, the subjective perception of nicotine strength parametrically correlated with neural activities in the thalamus. At the circuitry level, the functional coupling between thalamus and ventromedial prefrontal cortex also scaled parametrically to belief dose. Taken together, these findings demonstrate the precise mapping between beliefs and neural activities in a prefrontal thalamic circuit. Our study further reveals a granular mechanism that might account for these pre previous findings, that the difference in neural activations can be triggered by manipulating one's beliefs about nicotine intake, which likely acts as precursors to explicit habitual actions, as if the acetylcholine receptors were activated by the presence of the actual different dosages of nicotine. This implies that con cognitive constructs such as beliefs and expectations can modulate fine-grained biological mechanisms in the human brain in a way that is similar to pharmacologic agents, end quote. Again, from Pearl O. in BioXRV. I don't know about you, but this is incredible. The ventromedial prefrontal cortex is what is enhanced by many ADHD medicines and helps us focus on tasks. Many of these drugs help the prefrontal cortex orchestrate all of the brain's functions to help maintain focus on the desired task at hand. If a child or patient is given the belief that drug X at this dose will have a great effect, odds are much higher that the effect will occur based on this research. Bruce Lipton wrote a book a few decades ago about the role of thoughts in biology called The Biology of Belief. It's a good read. Thoughts do truly create biological processes to occur at the cellular level. That is a takeaway. That is amazing. It's high time that we as providers continue to beat the drum about positivity in all things, especially when we discuss the response a patient will have to a given therapy. Section 2, Mini Literature Review. 1. In the journal Nature Cardiovascular Research, we see a noting study that individuals with SARS-2 COVID-19 infection have viral invasion of coronary artery vessels and increased risk of coronary artery blockage in events. From the article, quote, Here we report the SARS-CoV-2 viral RNA is detectable and replicates in, in coronary lesions taken at autopsy from severe COVID-19 cases. SARS-CoV-2-directed plaque macrophages and exhibited a stronger tropism for arterial lesions than adjacent perivascular fat, correlating with macrophage infiltration levels. SARS-CoV-2 entry was increased in cholesterol-loaded primary macrophages and dependent in part on neuropillin-1. SARS-CoV-2 induced a robust inflammatory response in the cultured macrophages and human atherosclerotic vascular explants with secretion of cytokines known to trigger cardiovascular events. Our data established that SARS-CoV-2 infects coronary vessels, induces plaque inflammation that could trigger acute cardiovascular complications, 
and increase the long-term cardiovascular risk, end quote. That's by Eberhardt, K. et al., 2023. For me, this is important as COVID disease in early stages of the pandemic increased the risk of heart attack during the first year post-infection. Once again, what can you control to stay alive for a long time? These are studies that are pointing to the realities of what we saw epidemiologically. Number two, from Nature, we see the following, quote, Malnupiravir, an antiviral medication that was used widely in SARS-CoV-2, acts by inducing mutations in the virus genome during replication. Most random mutations are likely to be deleterious to the virus, and many may be lethal. And so Malnupiravir induced elevated mutation rates that reduced the viral load. However, if some patients treated with Malnupiravir don't clear the SARS-CoV-2 infection fully, there could be potential for onward transmission of drug-associated malnupiravir mutated viruses. Here we show that SARS-CoV-2 sequencing databases contain extensive evidence of malnupiravir mutagenesis. Using a systematic approach, we find that specific class of long phylogenetic branches distinguished between high proportion of G to A and C to T mutations appear almost exclusively in sequences from 2022. After the induction of the drug therapy and in countries and age groups with widespread usage of this drug, we identify mutational spectrum with preferred nucleotide context from viruses in patients known to have been treated with malnupiravir and show that its signatures matches that seen in the long branches, in some cases with onward transmission of malnupiravir-derived lineages. Finally, we analyze treatment records to confirm a direct association between these high G to A branches and the use of malnupiravir. End quote. Sanderson T. et al. in the journal Nature. Dr. Sanderson notes the possibility of persistent antiviral induced mutations needs to be taken into account for the development of new drugs which work in a similar way. Our work shows that the unprecedented size of post-pandemic sequence data sets collaboratively built by thousands of researchers and healthcare workers around the world creates huge power to reveal insights into virus evolution that would not have been possible from analysis of data from any individual country. That's from Gen News, G-E-N-N-E-W-S, spoken specifically by Dr. Sanderson. So for me, these realities also played out by natural viral infections in immunocompromised individuals. The ability to clear the virus from our bodies allows for mutational change. We will need to carefully look at this data for a worsening of viral mutagenesis moving forward and to carefully analyze the true benefit of using these meds if they are needed at all now that Omicron is so mild. Section 3, Autism Etiology. In a new study from PLOS One, we see an association between the epigenetic hypomethylating plasticizer BPA that was ubiquitously used in baby bottles for decades and the diseases ADHD and autism. To understand this a little more, listen to podcast number three with Randy Jurdle as we get into this data. But from the article, quote, the present study focused on two of these compounds, the common plasticizers BPA, bisphenol A, and diethylhexylphthalate, or DEHP. BPA and DEHP plasticizers are moderate molecular weight, hydrophilic, and relatively inert aromatic compounds. BPA is used in the manufacture of polycarbonate plastics as an antioxidant in some plasticizers, in polyvinyl chloride manufacture, and in epoxy resins used to coat the inside of many food and beverage cans. 
DEHP is used to control the rigidity of plastic. The principal routes of exposure are believed to be dietary through ingestion of food products via contaminated packaging, although there is some evidence that inhalation and personal products are also important, end quote. As we've discussed many times, and you will learn in upcoming podcasts with Dr. Joe Pizzorno, the toxicity of a substance is related to the dose, timing and chronicity of exposure, and the ability to eliminate it in an expedient manner. In this study, the inability to eliminate BPA in a reasonable manner leaves a patient at risk for toxic epigenetic effects of the chemical, which appears to drive neurodevelopmental dysfunction. The process of elimination occurs via glucuronidation. The the glucuronidation detoxification pathway makes BPA and DHEP more water-soluble so that we can eliminate it from the body by urination. Gene polymorphisms in the ability to perform this process and others is thought to be a player in the ASD etiology, especially as these toxins are ever more prevalent in society. Quote, numerous studies have shown both function as endocrine disruptors Endocrine disruption is a very broad term that can encompass multiple metabolic processes ranging from altered gene expression to altered oxidative stress. In rodent models, MEHP and BPA impede fetal growth development and behavior. For ADHD, there is direct evidence of a systemic difference in metabolism from controlled children. The whole body protein synthesis and breakdown rates, i.e. turnover, and amino acid flux are elevated in children with ADHD and the basal metabolic rate is increased. Protein turnover is a systemic process accounting for about 20% of basal metabolic rate and directly related to energy expenditure as well as nucleotide metabolism. A difference in the whole body protein synthesis rate will reflect underlying differences in a significant proportion of the numerous metabolic processes that lead to synthesis and degradation of proteins. There is no analogous kinetic whole body data available for ASD even though there is a very extensive literature on the association of multiple specific differences in the intermediary metabolism with neurodevelopment disease, which is consistent with a systemic response, end quote. Again, Stein in plus one. The take-home reality here is this. ASD and ADHD are caused by multiple triggers, as we have discussed for years. This data set adds to other studies linking the inability to handle our toxic environment while a child is inside a mother and during infancy. Until we study everyone's individual genome to know these risks, I would look at your family history as a proxy for genetic risk. Either way, I would still recommend the avoidance of all endocrine disrupting chemicals that can alter the genome of your offspring as a mother and father to be. Prevent autism and ADHD if you can. Super important stuff here, folks. Okay, song of the week. Motley Crue's Home Sweet Home. An old classic. And I think that's it for this week. And it is. As always, hug those kids. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other health care professional. It is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter does not constitute development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.